0: We're in Luke chapter 10 tonight, verse 25, looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is a great example in Scripture of how important it is that we take time to dig in a little bit deeper to the Word of God, because most people know the story of the Good Samaritan, and when they think about it, it's pretty much reduced to, well, isn't Jesus just teaching us to be kind to strangers? And that's pretty much all that a lot of even Christians get out of the good. And and even, they don't understand that there's so much more here. And there's so much more in the context here than just the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's so much deeper than that. And by taking the time to dig in a little bit deeper, we just discover so much that we would not discover if we just sort of sat on the surface, if you will. So, uh... I think this is a great example for us. uh, And it's a great example for us to use to others. Because a lot of people that we would talk to would probably go, yeah, I know the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, tell me what it's about. And like I said, most of them will say, well, you know, help people that are in need or be kind to strangers or that type of thing. But I think we're going to see tonight that this passage is just so rich and full of, of God's truth. So we start out, in verse 25, where Jesus is approached by an expert in religious law. Basically, that's a way in Jesus' day to say that this man was an Old Testament scholar. This was someone that would have been trained and educated in the best schools and would have have known the Old Testament back and forth, would have been in the Old Testament every day, would have studied it, would have taught it. I mean, you're talking about an Old Testament scholar here, okay? And so he stands up to test Jesus. And by the way, this is the same word that's used in other places about don't tempt or test the Lord your God. Obviously, he doesn't believe that Jesus is God. He respectfully calls him teacher, but he does not believe that he is God. Now, the reason he approaches Jesus is because as an Old Testament scholar in Judaism, he has an understanding of his religious system. And he's been hearing how this Jesus is going around, you know, teaching and, and having crowds follow him. And so he wants to find out what is what is Jesus' religious system. If, if Jesus was to reduce his you know, system to a few thoughts, what would they be? And he wants then to compare what obviously he believes with what this Jesus character is teaching. So he says to Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, inherit here is also a word that was sort of peculiar to, to the Jews in a sense, they sort of felt like they inherited salvation and a right standing with God just by being a Jew. But he understands, too, that he has bought into the whole sort of good works way to, uh, to acquire God's favor and God's blessing. And so he's asking Jesus, Jesus, what do I need to do? What do I need to be the cause of or the author of in order to basically procure salvation with God and have eternal life? Now, Jesus could have carved up this guy, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus tries to deal with him in in a sense by teaching him a lesson, yes, but by doing it, on his level and still with a measure of respect so notice jesus says to him in verse 26 what is written in the law because jesus understood if you're an old testament scholar you believe in the old testament you've immersed yourself in the old testament you know the old testament so let's go to the old testament because jesus certainly didn't come to to not fulfill the law. He did come to fulfill the law. He, he didn't come to, to somehow uh, throw out the Old Testament. So he takes this Old Testament scholar to the Old Testament and says, well, what's it say there? You tell me. In fact, he even says, how do you understand it? How do you read it? How do you distinguish God's intent in what he wrote in the Old Testament? So notice something here. The biblical scholar comes to Jesus to ask him a question, but now Jesus has sort of turned to tables, and instead of being the one question, now he's the one asking the question. And he directs the expert right back to the scriptures that he says that he believes in. So, the Bible says, the Old Testament scholar answered and said, well, if I had to reduce my understanding of the law to a summary statement, Jesus here's what I would say. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him something that every one of us would love to hear from Jesus. You're right. Ding, ding, ding. You answered correctly. You get the A. Star above your name, Old Testament scholar. If you were going to reduce the Old Testament to just a summary statement, that's pretty good. In fact, Jesus said, you're right. In fact, he uses the Greek word orthos here, which is where we get our word orthodox from. He's basically saying, you're you're right on. Couldn't have answered better. But then notice what Jesus says. Do this, and you'll live. Do this. Do you really think that you at all times can love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind? Do you feel like you've done that up to this point, that every minute of your life that's, that's been your doing? And do you feel like every minute of your life you have loved your neighbor as yourself the whole time you've been alive? See, what Jesus was trying to get the Old Testament scholar to see is that was what was written in the law. That is the law. That's correct. But it was given by God to all of us to show us there's no way we can do it. We can't author our own salvation. We can't be the cause of our own eternal life. Yes, that is what we're supposed to do, but we can't do it all the time. That's why we need God, and we need a Savior, and we needed God to send a Savior for us so that He could do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Because none of us can do what the law says all the time. Now the problem here is that this Old Testament scholar already thought he had eternal life, Which there's something we could talk all night just about that. How deluded people are in thinking they're okay with God when they're really not. Jesus talks about this. Something obviously we need to be careful of and need to warn others about as well. But Jesus told him, do this. And that's a key. Because at the end of the parable of the Good Samaritan, he's going to say the same thing to this man. Do that you see. Do it! Why does Jesus emphasize doing? Keep your finger in Luke chapter 10 and go back to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 23. I want to show you this. In Jesus' scathing denunciation of the religious leaders of Israel in Matthew 23, he makes a remarkable statement and I think a statement that probably many Christians would not probably have looked at it that way. And that is that Jesus basically tells his followers at this point, you listen to what the religious leaders teach. Because what they teach is actually good and accurate. There's not a problem with the religious leaders of Israel as far as their teaching goes. But don't follow their example, Jesus says. Because Jesus says, they don't do what they teach. See... In Jesus' day, one of the big problems that Jesus is addressing here with this biblical scholar is that there was a disconnect between what they knew the law said and what they knew the Old Testament said and what they did. And you'll see this very clearly in Matthew 23, look at verse 3. Where Jesus says to his followers, Therefore pay attention to what they tell you and do it. Remarkable. Many Christians would go, I think probably the religious leaders were off base as far as their teaching. Jesus says, no. No, what they taught was actually good. Pay attention to it and do it. But notice what he goes on to say. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they teach. A disconnect between knowing and doing. And if there's one great underlying theme, and there's many in this passage that contains the parable of the Good Samaritan, if there's one great underlying theme in this passage tonight, it is always making sure that we link our knowing and our doing. To him who knows to do good and does it not, James says, to him it is sin. And we must always be aware as followers of Jesus Christ. That we are doing what we know. That we are applying what we're learning. That we're not just taking in knowledge like the religious leaders of Israel, but that we are putting into practice what we are doing. And that we're being examples not only of what we're teaching, but that we're also laying down an example of how we are living, which was not what the experts in the law were doing in Jesus' day. And this is why Jesus says this. Pay attention to what they teach. Because they're accurate. They're right on with what they teach. But don't follow their life. Don't follow their example because they don't do what they teach. And so now when you come back to Luke 10, now you see the words of Jesus now in a little bit different light. Where he's telling the expert in the law, do this. Because you guys aren't doing it. You see. You're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It's like Paul said in Titus. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They profess to know God, but in works they deny me. There's a disconnect. And this is the context of where this parable of the Good Samaritan comes from. And see, what it illustrates for us is this. It illustrates for us, and here's one of the other big underlying themes in this passage. It underlines for us the emptiness and hollowness of religion versus the richness and wealth of God's grace. You see, religion is all about duty. Duty. It's all about checking off boxes. What this expert in the law wanted from Jesus was, give me some boxes to check off. Where the person who lives in grace and under grace, it isn't about duty and obligation, it's about delight. And it's about just simply following Jesus wherever that takes me and it's not about just checking off boxes. It's about a relationship and building a relationship. And this is what the religious leaders of Israel were missing. And this is what they were teaching other people. Check off the box. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And this kind of, of attitude towards, towards God and towards faith and towards life has been here since man. Because it continues to exist today where you and I live in the midst of, a, of people all around us who have reduced their life with God to checking off boxes and to duty and, and to obligation rather than to living by delight. And what we see even as, what I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in the parable of the Good Samaritan, is one of the other things about religion is religion leaves us cold towards others, not warm and compassionate towards others. That's born out of grace. When a person lives in grace and by grace, there is a compassion for others. There's a warmth and affection for others that God builds into our life through grace that can't come through law, you see. And that's why the religious systems of this world, including the one that Jesus was confronting here, is bankrupt. That's why Jesus came. To show men that He was the way, the truth, and the life. So notice, the expert now is starting to get some some beads of sweat to start to drip down And he's probably starting to get a little warm inside because he thought he was coming to sort of test Jesus and put Jesus in an uncomfortable position. And all of a sudden the tables are turning. He's not feeling too good because under his definition, he thought he was okay. And now he's beginning to get a little uncomfortable and convicted And so notice in verse 29, the expert wanting to justify himself. Wanting to have someone else affirm that he is right already. That he doesn't need to do anything more. He's already right with God. Just tell me I'm okay. Says to Jesus, well then, who is my neighbor? Now notice something here, very interesting. He totally skips over the love your God thing. And, and I think, in, in some ways, it's like, well, I've got that one down, Jesus. You know, we, we don't need to talk about loving God with all my heart. I my mean, yeah, i got that down. Now, and, and think about that. How many people, just like this biblical scholar, thinks, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm really doing good. And the reason they think they're doing good is because in their system... They've defined everything. They've made the definitions instead of letting God define and clarify what His will is. And in a sense, that's what the biblical scholar's doing here when he's, he's saying, Jesus, in my definition of my system, I'm right. And I've already loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I've already loved my neighbor as myself. Because to this biblical scholar, this Jew... His neighbor was his fellow Jew. Now that's going to come into play then in why Jesus teaches the parable of the Good Samaritan. See, to the biblical scholar, he said, I'm okay because my definition of neighbor in the Old Testament is my fellow Jew. And Jesus is going to point out in this great parable of the Good Samaritan that, well, that's not how God defines neighbor. You see, And that then brings up a whole another great point in this whole passage. Which is we need to make sure that we are living by God's definition of things and not our definition of things. Because just like here, this biblical scholar thought, I'm good. And the reason he thought he was good is because he created the boxes to check off. He had checked them off in his mind and he was good. And yet, There was all this deficiency over here that he was totally blind to because, again, he wasn't living by God's definition of things. He was living by his definition, which is the way many people are today and why they're, in a sense, smug and comfortable and very casual in their faith or religion or whatever you want to call it, their spiritual life, because they've created their own system. They've made up their own boxes to check off, and they're good in their own mind because they looked back and said, "I've checked that box off. I've done my duty and my obligation." When all this over here, according to God, is deficient, so Jesus basically saying, "You want me to define for you and clarify what is meant by neighbor?" Let me tell you a story. And that's the context of the Good Samaritan. Now think about it. Think about all that we've talked about already and how now this story of the Good Samaritan is just going to have, to me, a greater impact and and, and have a greater uh, influence in our lives once we really understand the context of where Jesus now tells this story to this old testament scholar jesus replied a man and he doesn't tell the expert what nationality the man is because i think in jesus mind it doesn't matter what nationality the man is okay the man was going down from jerusalem to jericho which by the way is a 17 mile journey at least in Jesus' day Along very winding roads and treacherous paths, that was a great haunt for robbers and thieves. You did have to be very careful along this road. And so Jesus said, as the man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him up, went off, leaving him half dead. Verse 31. Now by chance. And the reason Jesus uses that is because there are no coincidences with God. This was providential. This priest now providentially had an opportunity here to minister to this man who had been left for dead and injured by the side of the road. And Jesus says, A priest was going down that road, but when he saw the injured man, he passed by on the other side, literally. He was on the same side as this injured man who needed help, and he, once he saw, oh, he literally then went to the other side so that he would totally separate himself and and almost like if I don't see it, then, you know, I don't need to deal with it. And Jesus first uses a priest because obviously this biblical scholar would have thought, well, this this is the person in our society along with me that's okay with God. And and this person is in full-time ministry for God. And this person is frequently in the scriptures. I mean, priests were in the scriptures all the time, almost as much as we biblical scholars. And what Jesus is pointing out is, you can immerse yourself in the scriptures. But it does no good unless you apply them and do what they say to do. And the priest obviously didn't take the opportunity to minister and help this injured man. Then Jesus said in verse 32, So to a Levite, another person in full-time ministry, who was at the temple daily and who was serving the Lord and offering sacrifices, and again, frequently in the Word of God, When he came to the place and saw him, he did the same thing. He literally went from one side of the road to the other side of the road. Now, in the Greek language, one thing you learn when you study Greek is that something that is put at the beginning of the sentence is what the speaker wants to emphasize most. Okay? So the very first word in the Greek New Testament in verse 33 is, Samaritan. Jesus wants to emphasize now this other guy who's coming along. And the reason why Jesus chooses a Samaritan is for several reasons. One, he's certainly a big contrast to the priest and the Levite. First of all, he wasn't in full time ministry, he would have been regarded much like Jesus. Well, yeah. you haven't been trained. You haven't been educated. You're like that Jesus who's from Nazareth and does anything good come out of Nazareth? And, you know, um, that's Samaritans. But the other thing about Samaritans is Jews hated, despised Samaritans. Because in Jews' minds, they were half-breeds. They were not pure Jews. You see, when Assyria, and we talked about Assyria on Sunday with Sennacherib. Well, when Assyria invaded and conquered Israel, the northern kingdom, what Assyria did was they deported Jews and scattered them all over and then brought in peoples of other lands to populate the northern kingdom of Israel. And so that meant that all these other people from other lands obviously intermarried with the Jews that were already there and they produced the Samaritans. That's what they were called, Samaritans. So the pure Jews, if you will, that were living in the southern kingdom of Judah always looked down their nose at Samaritans. So who does Jesus use here? A Samaritan. Because there's something else that Jesus wants to hit. And that is, he wants to reveal the prejudice and bigotry that existed in Israel. And to show them that from God's definition of neighbor... A neighbor isn't just your fellow Jew or who you want it to be. God's definition of neighbor is anyone who is near and in need. It doesn't matter what their nationality is, what their status is, what their skin color is, what their sex is, what their social status is. It None none of that matters to God. A neighbor is one who is near you, who's right there. You've got the opportunity and they have a need And you can help them with that need. That's a neighbor. That's God's definition of neighbor. And Jesus wants to then, if he asks, define for me, Jesus, in your system, what a neighbor is, Jesus wants to do it. A Samaritan who was traveling came to where the injured man was, and when he saw him, he felt compassion on him. Again, these words mean to be moved in the inward parts. We've talked about this. The bowels. The intestines. It was a great way for, for Jews to, to comprehend that when one is moved, when one feels for one, someone else, the stomach, if you will, the gastrointestinal area of our being is affected. And Jesus is saying, this Samaritan was right on because the Levite... And the priest looked at this man. They saw this man in need. But there was a coldness. There was a hard-heartedness in their religion and in their relationship with God that didn't bring about any kind of compassion or warmth or empathy or sympathy towards others. And yet here's this Samaritan, this one that you despise and you reject. And when he saw this man, he was moved. And not just moved. Not just got emotional. He was moved enough to help the one in need. He went to him. He came near. He drew near to this man. And he bandaged his wounds. And then, it says he poured oil and wine on his wounds. And then it says... He put him on his own animal, which implies that the injured man rode while the Samaritan walked. The Samaritan's love is obvious in his willingness to inconvenience himself and make gracious and generous and costly sacrifices for this man's welfare. And then he goes even a step further. It says he he brought him to the inn that was near and took care of him himself. He personally attended to this man. And then even went so far as to make sure the next day that this man would be taken care of while he stayed and recovered at the inn. And he paid two silver coins, which in Jesus' day would have far exceeded what this man would have needed. Okay? And gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever else you spend, I will repay you when I come back this way. What a story. But don't miss now sort of the climax here. Jesus now turns to this biblical scholar who thought that he was right with God and that he already had eternal life and that he was the cause of it because he had loved God all the time with everything he had and he had always loved his neighbor as himself because to him, his neighbor was by his definition his fellow Jew and he treated his fellow Jews just fine. And when Jesus didn't go along with it and say, you're right, you're okay, but instead said, do these things and live, when he thought he already had, he was shaken. And then he begins to think, well, what's your definition of neighbor then, Jesus? Because here's mine. And Jesus then, in this context, shares the story Of the Good Samaritan, and basically turns this biblical scholar's world upside down. Because that's what Jesus just did when he came to earth. He just turned people's worlds upside down. Especially the religious leaders of Israel. And so when he looks at this man, notice then his next question Which of these three, the priest? The Levite or the Samaritan, do you think, became a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now don't miss something really important here. In the scholar's question to Jesus earlier on, it was, who's my neighbor? Who's neighbor to me? But notice in Jesus' question here, he's saying, who are you a neighbor to? who became his neighbor. And this word for neighbor means a friend or a companion. And notice then something that Jesus is teaching. By the way we treat others, we can begin and develop and and initiate new friendships and relationships just by being kind to others and meeting them in their need. People go sitting around and go, I don't have any friends. And what Jesus is saying here is start living for others and investing in them and you'll become a friend when you stop living for yourself and start getting your eyes off yourself and start living for others. You have all the friends you want when you live totally a selfless and self-unselfish life. But if it's always all about us then yeah, we probably won't have too many. And notice this, verse 37. The expert in religious law said, and he he couldn't bring himself to say the Samaritan. Did you notice that? I I can't say Samaritan. So he said, the one who showed mercy to him. And he got the lesson, because he was right on. That's exactly who became the neighbor. The one that cared enough to help the one in need. And God wants to create in us, through His grace, that warmth and compassion and empathy and sympathy for others that we will care enough to help those in need. And I thank my God that I am the pastor of such a group of people that are loving and caring. Could we be more? Absolutely. But you folks need to also be commended for wrapping your arms around the homeless and wrapping your arms around foster group kids and wrapping your arms around each other in the body. And helping each other and being sensitive to the needs of those around you. And this is why God calls us to live in connection with each other. How can we become a neighbor if we live in isolation of each other? If Christianity is just a private affair between us and God and doesn't involve anybody else, how do we carry out the commands of Scripture? We can't. And so Jesus said to him, since you got the lesson right, and once again, you answered correctly, two correct questions, you got 100% so far, but Jesus leaves him with this. Go and what? Do Do. Follow the example of the Samaritan. Do it. Twice in this passage, Jesus says to this expert, do it, which takes us back to that verse in Matthew 23, 3. Their teaching is right on. Follow their teaching, but don't follow their life and example because they don't do what they teach. They don't live what they know. And this was the context of this great parable called the parable of the Good Samaritan. I don't know, obviously, how God wants to use this passage of Scripture in your life specifically, but I know that my God, again, takes His Word and literally fashions it personally for each of us so that He speaks to us right where we need to be spoken to, about what we need to be spoken to. And I trust that God does that every time I teach the Word of God. So tonight, let's take this wonderful, rich passage. Not just the parable of the Good Samaritan, but let's understand the much bigger and broader context of where Jesus spoke this parable and why He spoke this parable because now it makes this parable even more important to us when we dig in a little deeper.